today I want to share um, what Jesus meant when he declared in Matthew 12 that there is something greater than the temple has arrived. And when we think about the temple of God, there's so many things we can, we can think about. We can think about how in the Jewish imagination the temple of God was a reflection of the Garden of Eden and, and how it represented harmony with God and God's presence. And, then, and how Jesus came to restore that again. Um, or we could talk about how Paul conceived of the temple of God as our, as our body, um, and how it's, we can worship him and it can be a, a sacrifice. Um, but today I want to look at how the temple, in the Jewish imagination, was a place where heaven and earth met. And when we learn this, we learn the enormity and the profoundness of Jesus' statement when he says something greater than the temple has arrived in, in himself. And so just to start, I'd like to um, first like to describe how the Jews living in first century um, Israel in Jesus' time would have conceived of this, this temple and what it would have meant. And I'm just going to read an extract from a book by N.T. Wright, I'm not sure many of you have heard of a theologian, um, called Simply Jesus. And if you guys haven't, haven't read this, this is amazing. It's such a great book. Yes. He's got, <laughs> <laughs> he's got, uh, got this amazing ability to um, take very complex and very dense um, issues and, and ideas, and like, he tackles the whole person Jesus' meaning, and it's so accessible. Um, and so I, it's amazing. So I've been reading the last couple of months, and I absolutely love it. Um, and so just, I just want to read an extract from it, and it's basically him explain much more succinctly than I can how first century Jews living in the time of Jesus would have conceived of, of the temple and the importance of it. And so, yeah, so in reference to the temple, N.T. Wright um, writes that it was the heart of everything. It was the holiest place on earth. It wasn't, as sacred buildings have been in other traditions, a retreat from the world. Instead, it was a bridgehead into the world. It was a sign that the Creator God was claiming the whole world back, claiming it back for Himself, establishing His domain in the middle of it. In particular, it was the place where God Himself had promised to come and live. This is where God's glory, His tabernacling presence, or His inhabiting presence, has come to rest. But God lived by definition in heaven. Nobody, however, supposed that God lived most of the time in heaven and then for occasional holidays went to live at the temple of Jerusalem instead. <laughs> Somehow then the temple was not only the centre of the world, but it was literally the place where heaven and earth met. These, these first century Jews living at the time of Jesus, the temple wasn't just simply this, this religious symbol of, of worship or a religious building. Um, it was literally the place, the dwelling place of God. It was literally where heaven and earth overlapped. There was an intertwining, there was God's rule and reigns exercised in this temple. In this temple, there could be forgiveness, and there was His presence, and there was, and there was worship, and there was mercy. And so we can start to get an idea of the importance that this temple had for um, these people who followed 
followed Yahweh, followed God. Um, and then Jesus came and just radically redefined this place of where heaven and earth meet. And so I just want to let you take two passages quickly, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament, and we see how remarkably different they are in the way they talk about the temple and how they understand the temple. And I would suggest it's because the, in the New Testament, Paul will read, has um, figured out what Jesus is saying when he says that something great from the temple has, has come. And so in the Old Testament, I just want to read from 1 Kings 5, and verses 4 to 6. And so this is Solomon, and he's writing a letter um, to another king because he wants to build the temple of God. He wants to build this place where heaven and earth meet. So before this, God's presence used to dwell in, in the Ark of the Covenant, or he used to dwell in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And so Solomon wants to build this foundation, this, this physical marker of where God's rule is. And Solomon writes this, he says, But now the Lord my God has given me rest on every side. There is no adversary or disaster. I intend, therefore, to build a temple in the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord told my father David when he said, Your son, who I will put on the throne in your place, will build a temple for my name. So give the orders that cedar of Lebanon will be cut for me. So Solomon has been commissioned to build this temple, to build this physical structure to represent where God's presence dwells on earth, where heaven and earth overlap and meet. And then I just want to take um, a New Testament verse in Acts 17. So this is Paul. This is after the time of Jesus. Jesus has um, done his ministry, he's died, he's raised, he's ascended to heaven. And Paul is one of his first followers. And he's travelling around Athens and he's sharing the good news that God is amongst his people. God is that move amongst his people. And he says this in Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. So what's going on here? Paul was an extremely religious and educated Jewish man. But he is, he is saying something different to what he's, been, he's read in, in the Old Testament. He describes himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee in the way he keeps the law in, in Philippians. So he's someone who's steeped in the Jewish scriptures. He would have known this passage in Kings I read. Yet he's seen something more than this passage. And I would suggest that Paul has seen Jesus' words and actions that this, this temple was merely a signpost to a greater reality. That the place where heaven and earth meet is within us. And that wherever the characteristics of the kingdom of God are, and is evident, and that's the submitted meeting place between heaven and earth, where there's people coming free, where there's mercy, and where there's forgiveness. Um, so I'll be married to Phoebe now for nine months. Very wonderful. And, and when Phoebe and I were dating, um, our lives overlapped a lot less than they do now. So I could go over to Honest Face for dinner, I'd have dinner with Phoebe's family and her and our um, 
presence, our space overlapped somewhat. Or we could go out on a, on a date and we would be together and our spaces overlap there. But then I could go home and I could go into my place and, and my bed and I could play Xbox for as long as I wanted. And didn't have <laughs> but then when we got married, something changed. There was a, a, a new reality came. Suddenly our lives were much more overlapped. Suddenly, my bed had a lot more decorative pillows on it than before. Suddenly, I could only play Xbox on the weekends all the time. But something had changed. There was greater depth. There was new intimacy. There was new experiences. There was something that we could would build upon and we can build towards. And we created a space, we created a new reality through our action. And there are signs in our marriage, and there are signs of this new reality. Phoebe has changed her name. We have rings on our hands. We live together, we make financial decisions together, we plan our lives together. So there is this evidence of that, the fact that we are married. And I don't lose my sense of self in the marriage and, and all speed, but there is there's something there that we can invite people into. There's something there that other people can experience and feel. This is just this is new reality that's, that's been created. There's much more I could show about today, but um, I think what I want to get out of that analogy is that before we were married, there was less overlap in our lives. When we were married, there was much more overlap, and there were signs of evidence this new reality that we have created. And I think this is the shift that we see um, when we look at how Jesus reimagined the temple. Jesus showed that this overlap wasn't now just limited to a physical space, but this new reality had been created. There was a greater overlap of heaven and earth. There was God's space and our space. It was overlapping to greater measure. There were signs that the kingdom of God was evident. So like our rings and like Phoebe's name change, there was evidence that the kingdom had indeed overlapped on earth to a greater measure than just in the temple. There was healings. The blind were able to see. There was freedom for captives. Mm-hmm. Mercy and grace were extended to those who least deserved it. Mm-hmm. And so, what did Jesus do in his life and in his actions that revealed to someone like Paul that there was this new reality, that the temple was merely a signpost of a greater reality where heaven and earth meeting was no longer just a physical space or just reserved for the temple, but it was open in the marketplace, in everyone's lives, and accessible all the time. Mm-hmm. So Jesus travelled around and he was declaring the good news. This is what we hear Jesus say. He says, the kingdom of God is near. He says, repent and change the way you think for the kingdom of God is near. Mm-hmm. In other words, that God was becoming king, that he was now in charge, whereas we kind of disdain discovering often that God was ruling and reigning. Jesus was establishing God's long-awaited kingdom on earth 
of freedom and peace. Jesus was bringing heaven's will on earth. And he would demonstrate this through healings, through extending grace, through showing mercy, through forgiveness. And what was so revolutionary about this for the first century Jews living at this time was that they understood that the kingdom of God is near in one sense. They understood it was near because you could go into the temple and you could experience a little bit of it. You could experience a little bit of God's space and our space interacting. You could go into the outer courts and you could worship God. Sense his presence. Or you could burn incense. Or you could speak to the priest who would go once a year into the inner court and make a sacrifice for himself and for the nation. And so in this temple there was to accept forgiveness and mercy and his presence. But what Jesus did, he blew this totally out of the water by saying what you could experience in the temple we're now seeing in the marketplace. When there was his presence was just located in the temple or his forgiveness was just found in the temple, Jesus is coming and forgiving sins on the street. He's saying heaven and earth have overlapped. Yeah. Where we're not just, it's not heaven and God's space isn't just bound to the temple anymore. That heaven and earth's space has become intertwined through a person who's walking in the spirit of God. Yeah. When, we get to, when we walk in his spirit, when we walk in step with him, we are part of this new reality. This great overlap of heaven and earth. And we get to walk into that and get to experience that. So in, in Matthew 16, we read that Pharisees um, are asking Jesus for a sign that what he's preaching is indeed true. In other words, they're asking, is it true that heaven and earth are really quite allowed? Is it true that the kingdom of God is near? And so if you're reading Psalm Matthew 16, and it says, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him, show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when, everything, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. Then Jesus went away and left. So what's Jesus saying here? He's saying, guys, can't you see the evidence? Can't you see the sign? The things that could only happen in the temple are now happening everywhere. He, he is trying to demonstrate to them that the kingdom of God has arrived. Because the things that could only happen in the temple are now happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Can't you see the freedom and the outbreak? The outbreak of freedom, sorry, and mercy has come. Saying this is it, the kingdom of God is near, and this is the evidence for that. Mm-hmm. Just in the same way, the evidence that me and Phoebe are married is in our, in our rings, and that we live together, and the fact Phoebe has changed name, there's evidence that the kingdom of God is near, because Jesus is walking in miracles, he's healing the sick, mm-hmm. and he's saying people free. And that's the great invitation of Jesus, isn't it? The great invitation of Jesus is following. So we get to follow him in this great dance of unity between heaven and earth overlapping. 
we get to reveal this reality, this new reality we have the privilege to reveal that it's true. We can show that in our lives. We get to produce that evidence in our lives. So we get to extend kindness and we get to extend grace and mercy and compassion to those around us. We get to demonstrate that we are free to live under this new kingdom, under this new overlap of heaven and earth. And ultimately we see in Paul the reason why he professes that God no longer dwells in the temple but built by men but he is seen everywhere through the actions of, of people who follow Jesus. We see that because he has trapped the actions and the life of, of Jesus. He has seen that in his life. And, and I think Hebrews 9 demonstrates this really well. And so I'm going to read some Passion Translation. And I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read a, a, a fair chunk through it because I think it just, yeah, just sums up this whole idea of, of the temple being assigned to a greater reality. And yes, this is some Passion Translation. Now, in the first covenant, there were specific rules for worship, including a sanctuary on earth to worship in. When you entered the tabernacle, you would first come to the holy chamber, where you would find the lampstand and the bread of his presence on the fellowship table. Then, as you pass through the next curtain, you would enter the innermost chamber, called the holiest sanctuary of all. It contained the golden altar of incense and the ark of covenant mercy. Where was a, where, which was a wooden box, sorry, covered entirely in gold. So this, so with the prescribed pattern of worship, the priests would routinely go in and out of the first chamber to perform their religious duties, and the high priest was permitted to enter into this, um, into the holiest sanctuary of all only once a year. Now the Holy Spirit uses the symbol of this pattern to re- of worship to reveal that the perfect way of holiness has not yet been unveiled. For as long as the tabernacle stood, there was an illustration that pointed to our present time of fulfillment. For this old pattern of worship was a matter of external rules and rituals concerning food and drink, ceremonial washing, which was imposed upon us until the appointed time of heart restoration had arrived. But now the Anointed One has become King of every wonderful thing that has come, For he serves a greater, more perfect heavenly tabernacle, not made by men. And he alone has made our salvation secure forever. And he has redeemed us forevermore. So Jesus is the one who has enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God, so that those who accept the invitation will receive the eternal inheritance that he has promised. I just think that's an, that's an amazing, poetical way of explaining what I've just been speaking about. You see, Paul has totally trapped Jesus' movement and Jesus' language the whole time because both of them will be so well aware of, of the Jewish scriptures um, that Jesus' language is so intentional about talking about something greater than the temple had arrived. Paul realised that this must mean that heaven and earth overlap to a greater measure, and that it's no longer located to some physical building, this outgrowth of the marketplace. 
So Paul saw that with all that was going on for Jesus' life, the temple's merely a signpost and there's a greater reality in it. Heaven and earth is fully overlapped and we get to live in that time. And I was just thinking about us as a community and I was thinking um, of the evidences that the kingdom of God is near. Um, and I was thinking um, of and and I was thinking how you nurture and encourage the students at school, but not only students, but the teachers as well. And I've heard stories of how you go above and beyond just employee and, and work relations um, to care for and, and love these people that you work with. And that's the evidence that the kingdom of God has come. You know there's a different reality you're operating from, and you're revealing that in heaven and earth have indeed overlapped. You're already in evidence of the kingdom of God is here. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of what you know, sir, and the um, communication relationship courses that you run at Israel. Um, and you restore and reconcile marriages. You bring emotional healing to people. You bring wisdom and listening here. You are revealing the evidence of the kingdom of God has come. You're operating in reality that you know that God can change lives mm-hmm. here in the marketplace, not just at the church. Mm-hmm. You are a ring of that. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of Joan and Kirsten. Um, so they volunteer once a week at Orana, which is the, the charity that we donate food to, and so they look after the most vulnerable in our community. And Joan and Kirsten um, volunteer one day a week there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are bringing compassion, you are bringing dignity. Mm-hmm. The most wonderful in our community. You are revealing that the kingdom of God is here. You are revealing that we are working in a new reality that we get to walk into. You are revealing that heaven and earth have indeed overlapped. And these are just the stories like I hear about and I know about because I know these people I talk, talk to them, and I know there's many, many of you guys that. Um, do this with friends and with family and with parents and, and kids. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing opportunity for us to to rethink um, how we view how God operates. Mm-hmm. He isn't bound to the church. He isn't bound to these four walls. He can operate in such diverse manner. And all he's looking for is willing hands and feet mm-hmm. who know the fact that heaven and earth have overlapped. Mm-hmm. Who know the kingdom of God is near. So we can see the evidence of that the kingdom is near through his people working and operating in a way that Jesus demonstrated for us. And the temple in the Old Testament is just a signpost of this greater reality that we get to live in every day. What you say? And yes, we are just welcome his presence and, and um, yeah, just let that stir in our hearts. 
been so important that we just, yeah, just allow ourselves time just to, to think about that, think about what the implications of that in our own lives, what it means to us personally to know the heaven and earth of overlap, what it means to our lives personally that the kingdom of God is near. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you now. Father, come in your presence. Lord, we ask you to come and mold and shape our hearts. Help us walk more and more towards you, Father, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus, like what Jesus demonstrated in the Gospels. Lord, may we be a people that extend mercy to those who don't deserve it. be people who bring compassion. Let's be known as people who love well, who bring freedom, who bring grace, who bring understanding, who bring wisdom. These are all the things we are called to step into because we know that heaven and earth have overlap. We know that the kingdom of God is near. Come into our hearts now. Just speak to us now. Thank mm-hmm. you.